The U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center's lecture series is presented to a live audience and provides insight into leadership and warfighting from scholars and soldiers, helping us educate future military leaders and the public. The opinions and statements of the speakers featured on this presentation are not necessarily the views of the United States Army or the Army Heritage and Education Center. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. And on behalf of the team here at the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center and the U.S. Army War College, um, welcome to our perspective lecture. It is the last one of the season. Um, this one is entitled Proving Patriotismo, Latino Military Recruitment Service and Belonging in the U.S. by Dr. Adam McGlynn, based upon um, the book of the same name by Dr. McGlynn himself and Dr. Jessica Lavariega Monforti. And um, we welcome listeners from all over the world who um, are participating through live stream. For those of you listening live online, remember that you can submit a question for RQA at the end of this lecture by typing it into the chat room and we will include them in the discussion. My name is Amanda Womack and I'm a museum technician with the Education and Engagements Division here at USAHEC. Tonight, I have the honor of representing the whole USAHEC team by introducing this evening's program and speaker. Dr. Adam McGlynn earned his PhD in 2007 from Stony Brook University in New York and currently teaches courses in American government, public policy, political behavior, research methods, and state and local government at East Stroudsburg University. His current research has a dual focus on Latinx military service and education policy. He co-authored Proving Patriotismo, Latino Military Recruitment, Service, and Belonging in the U.S. with Dr. Jessica Lavariega Monforti, which was published in 2021 with Lexington Books. In special recognition of the service and sacrifice of Latinx Americans to the country, please welcome Dr. McLean. here, everyone who's in person, as well as those of you who are watching at home. Uh, I, every researcher probably says this, but um, this book really was a labor of love. Uh, it was a book that took 10 years for us to start or go from start to finish on. Um, and the reason why was because, for the most part, uh, the, it was inspired by our students and our work with them. Uh, I am a researcher, but in my heart, I am an educator. Um, that's what I get the most joy from. And when your students inspire you to do something, that makes you that much more passionate about the research you're doing. Uh, so uh, to begin, let me just make sure this is... Uh, to begin, why did uh, we start this project? What was the focus of this? Because I I'll tell you, our experience um, was somewhat mixed. We had some individuals we spoke to about the work we were doing, and they were very positive, and they said, this is needed, um, this is an understudied topic. And then there were others who said, oh, academics who are looking at the military. This is gonna be a hatchet job. You're just out to make the military look bad. Um, so we did have struggles getting this project underway. Um, but I think that makes sense because ultimately, as we'll talk about, our findings were that it, it is a mixed bag. There are, there's good and there's bad. Um, and hopefully that will help inform what you know, we can do going forward um, to continue to uh, you know, see Latinos enter the military, but benefit from it and the country benefit from it as well. So we had, uh, originally I was teaching at the University of Texas Pan American in South Texas, which actually doesn't exist anymore. So if you look that up and say, oh, uh, what are you talking about? Um, it turned into the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Uh, and that area of the country, the Rio Grande Valley, has over a million residents. Um, it's not often talked about. We talk about Texas, we talk about San Antonio and Houston and the Metroplex and Dallas-Fort Worth, and it is largely forgotten. And in fact, when you're in Texas and you tell people you're from the Valley, sometimes they look at you a little funny. Um, so it's an area that is 90 plus percent Latino. Um, they are people who are incredibly proud of being Americans, incredibly patriotic, and we saw this with our students. And we saw many of our students had gone directly from high school into the service, 
And once uh, they had completed their service, they came to us as students. So they would have conversations with us about using their educational benefits, uh, using uh, their veterans' benefits, their parents using their VA benefits, because in many cases, these were multi-generational military families. And so we found that they were frustrated in some ways with their service, but they were still incredibly proud of it. Um, it was also a situation where many of the veterans, the 30,000 plus who were living in the Rio Grande Valley, were traveling four hours to San Antonio to the closest veterans hospital. So um, veterans issues and service were very prominent and something we were seeing every day um, with our students. And they were also talking about how in some ways they wanted to go to college, but they felt the military was best for them. And they were talking to recruiters you know, frequently, and the recruiters had a significant presence in their schools. And myself being from New York, um, my colleague, uh, Dr. Jessica Lavallega Monforti, uh, being from New York and Florida as well, we didn't really have that experience. It was something if you were interested in the military, then you might have went and sought out recruiters. So that also helped inspire the project. And um, it might be bizarre to see on there the 2013 Major League Baseball All-Star Game uh, being a motivation for this project, but uh, I'm a huge Mets fan being from New York, and I was watching the All-Star Game, which took place at Citi Field, and Mark Anthony was singing the national anthem. And if you went on Twitter afterwards, you saw tons of people writing, why is some Mexican singing the national anthem uh, at you know, the all-star game for our national pastime? Now, Mark Anthony was born and raised in New York. He's of Puerto Rican descent, not Mexican descent. Um, but either way, it demonstrated this struggle that Latinos face in the United States to demonstrate that regardless of their ethnic heritage, they are, in fact, Americans. Uh, Tying in with this around the same time is with No Child Left Behind's adoption in 2001, uh, the United States government ensured with the passage of that law that recruiters had equal access to high schools that uh, college recruiters did. And with any law, it takes a few years for it to be fully implemented. So as we're having these conversations about getting this book start project started in 2007, 2008, we're seeing that come to fruition as well. So all of those things together led us to uh, pursuing this project. Um, what are the components? What did we wind up actually doing? Um, the first part was uh, talking to high school students, going into high schools in the RGV, talking to students about their recruitment experiences. Now, we couldn't conduct interviews. Um, any of you who've done research or worked in an academic setting knows you have to go through an institutional review board uh, to be able to get your research approved and working with uh, you know, uh, those who are under 18 is difficult. Uh, so we were able to do surveys, we weren't able to do interviews. Um, so we want to talk to them about their military experience, uh, uh, recruitment experience, at least through these surveys. Um, second, um, we did then go and do interviews with high school guidance counselors, high school principals, and JROTC instructors uh, to get their views about you know, their students, what they were counseling their students to do, what their students were thinking about their futures. Uh, from there, we also did a survey with veterans in Texas. Um, I will say that was more of a struggle than we expected. It was very difficult to get veterans to find the time uh, to you know, take our survey. We were hoping to do interviews. Um, we struggled to be able to sit down with them. And then the last piece uh, was the 2016 Collaborative Multiracial Post-Election Survey, which was a national survey of Latinos where we were able to get responses from 3,000 Latinos about what they thought of military service and what role military service could play for Latinos in climbing the social ladder and achieving that acceptance and belonging that potentially military service could provide. So that is, in a nutshell, uh, what we did in this project. So let's talk a little bit um, about how we, uh, why Proving Patriotismo wound up being our title. Um, as I mentioned with the Mark Anthony example, um, there are lots of situations where we see Latinos are struggling to be recognized as Americans. Post 9-11, um, you know, many racial and ethnic groups were challenged, but border crossings and border security became a primary issue that was talked about by numerous politicians. We saw lots of legislation trying to uh, strengthen border security, number one, 
but criminalize the undocumented population um, and make it difficult to be a Latino in the United States, and essentially judging by you know, your skin color whether you were here legally or not. Um, Samuel Huntington and others um, publish uh, you know, opinion editorials where they're arguing that Latinos don't want to assimilate into the United States, that they want to create their own ethnic um, enclaves and not become Americans, and that you know, Samuel Huntington says to do so, the country, um, if the country ignores this, they're doing it at their peril. Uh, so we see a lot of anti-Latino sentiment uh, forcing Latinos to even more have to try to, again, achieve their patriotism, demonstrate um, that they are American. Um, so this is where potentially military service comes into play, because what is more of a demonstration of patriotism and love and pride in your country than choosing to serve in the United States military? Uh, and thus leading to this question, is that Will that do it? Will that help Latinos in the United States achieve that belonging, achieve that acceptance, achieve the American identity that they proudly display and proudly claim, but isn't ne necessarily recognized by many in the population? Um, one piece of research that really, um, as we were, we had all the data and we had all the results and we were trying to frame this and bring this all together. Um, and Angela Ocampo um, wrote a wonderful dissertation in 2018 um, at UCLA talking about Latinos and belonging and political participation and incorporation. Um, and she has a wonderful quote, and, I, and I'll just read it because anything I say wouldn't be as eloquent um, as what she makes here, and says, notions of membership and belonging are at the core of political incorporation of Latinos, as suggested by the century-long struggle to belong to America and be recognized as legitimate members of the nation state. So with that, Again, can military service achieve that purpose? So our first question really addresses recruitment and the concept of the poverty draft. Uh, the poverty draft had been a term that had been around for decades. We really see it come into play in Vietnam. Uh, essentially, if we look at casualty rates in Vietnam, we see African Americans tend to have higher casualty rates in the early part of the Vietnam War. Um, as there's more protests regarding that, in the second half of the Vietnam War, we start to see uh, Latino casualty rates rise. Um, the Chicano moratorium uh, forms where they start protesting um, you know, Latinos serving in Vietnam and disproportionately serving in combat roles. So this idea of the poverty draft existed for a while, but honestly, as academics, my co-author and I, realizing most of the discussion of this concept was anecdotal. There wasn't a lot of empirical evidence. So we, that's what we intended to do. That's what we wanted to do, go out and collect original data to be able to answer this question. And again, with this being the focus of our work in high schools in the RGV, we did get pushback. Um, there were you know, many teachers who were veterans, and when we would try to go into their classrooms and explain, you know, we wanna know about their experience, we wanna know what information they're getting, we wanna know what their responses are to recruitment, what they feel about it. Even then, while we were putting the focus on finding out what students thought and the student experience, they really thought we were just out to again slander the military. So some schools we were welcomed with open arms uh, because they saw that recruiters were in their schools on a regular basis. Many other schools, nope, we don't want any part of this. Um, so it, that was a struggle in and of itself. Now, the question is, if the United States military is targeting Latinos for recruitment, is that somehow unethical? Um, well, one of the first chapters of the book, we say, no, it's in fact rational. Um, one of the things we talk about is this concept in political science of rational choice theory, engaging in utilitarian behavior um, that's for your best interest. And in this instance, um, especially you know, coming off of the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, as we get into 2007, 2008, 2009, um, which were you know, starting to become unpopular, struggling to maintain recruiting numbers, um, it made sense to go to the population that you know is growing. 
Uh, when No Child Left Behind was enacted, one of the reasons they wanted to give um, recruiters the same access to high schools that they did to colleges and universities was because, and uh, Secretary Rod Page and Secretary Donald Rumsfeld said this in a letter to educational organizations, this might be some individual's best chance to climb the social ladder. This might be the only post-secondary opportunities they have. And especially in the Rio Grande Valley, where 35% of individuals are living in poverty, almost half of all children are living in poverty, that statement's not, entire, it's not incorrect. Um, so we have this constant struggle between, oh, the military is just preying on individuals from low-income backgrounds versus, well, some of those individuals will really benefit from military service. We know it provides them the opportunity to get their education paid for if they serve. Um, so much of our society is one thing is true and another thing is not. And in this situation, both things are true. It can be that in some instances there's potential unethical behavior, but on the other hand, it's also providing opportunities for individuals that may not have other post-secondary opportunities for success. So we really tried to be unbiased um, and you know, deal with both realities, that again, both realities can wind up being true. So what did our results find? We surveyed over 1,800 students. Again, 95% of these students are Hispanic. Of those Hispanic students, 95% are Mexican-American. Uh, so while we don't necessarily have diversity among Latinos, um, you know, uh, one of the things uh, researchers will tell you, uh, Latinos are not monolithic, okay? Um, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Mexican-Americans, Cuban-Americans, uh, they, you know, again, share similarities in their heritage, but they are not the same group with all the same beliefs, all the same political participation, all the same political behavior. So this is largely focused on Mexican-Americans because that is the population in the RGV. Um, we found that of the students that we contacted, of those 1,800 students, 47% had some contact with a recruiter. Of those individuals who had contact with the recruiter, only 11% reported that that recruitment was self-initiated, that they had contacted the recruiter themselves. Um, based on our conversations that came next with high school principals, guidance counselors, JRTC instructors, um, military recruiters tried to establish a regular presence in these schools. Uh, the schools we went into in terms of the economic disadvantaged population, um, the lowest schools still had 50% of their students who were classified as economically disadvantaged. Um, the schools with the highest percentages went to 90 to 95% of students being economically disadvantaged. Um, so we do have diversity there, but it's not as if any of these schools can be labeled as uh, high-income, wealthy communities. What we found, we conducted a logistic regression model. Um, essentially, what, and the question asked there is what characteristics would dictate whether or not someone was recruited. And the variable that came back the most significant was the school's uh, economically disadvantaged population. Um, you were almost twice as likely to be contacted if you were from a school that had a higher percentage of economically disadvantaged students than if you did not, uh, if you came from one of the schools where it was about half of students were economically disadvantaged. We did find something else out that was really, really interesting. And that was, um, we did something, we uh, created what's called an interaction term, where you see if two variables have an impact together. And we found when we interacted economically disadvantaged with uh, being an at-risk student population, that the effects of being economically disadvantaged somewhat went away. And essentially what this equates to is the military and recruiters were looking for those students who were from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, but were also performing academically. Now, again, um, this essentially means that they were targeting the best of the poorest, but this is rational. 
This makes sense. Again, we all know you, um, you, know, you take the ASVAB exam. You have to score a certain score to be able to enlist. So you want individuals who are gonna be able to serve and complete their service and meet those qualifications. Um, but we found that interesting that the military was engaged in that level of sophistication in conducting their recruitment activities. Now, we also asked students, what was, their, what was your response to military recruitment? What did you feel? How was it portrayed? Um, they talked about their military service, potential military service, being portrayed as career-oriented, being educational, being respected, and improving their life chances. So all the things we've already talked about, um, you know, that Secretary Page and Secretary Rumsfeld had talked about after No Child Left Behind is adopted. This is an opportunity to give yourselves uh, a chance for success later in life, post-military service. Being a member of the military is a respected profession. Um, you will learn skills. Yes, it's going to be hard work, but there are all these other benefits. They talked about leaving their experience with recruiters feeling more confident, feeling patriotic. But what they didn't talk about is discussions of employment, discussions, uh, I'm sorry, deployment, discussions of military occupational specialties. So some of the more nitty gritty details about what their service could potentially entail were left out. So again, two things can be true here. Yes, military service will absolutely provide opportunities for many of these young Latinos who might lack other opportunities elsewhere, but at the same time, we're not seeing full transparency in terms of what their military experience might entail if they were to choose to enlist. Which led to the next part of the project, and that is talking to principals, talking to school staff, um, and again, trying to be unbiased, trying to hear multiple sides of the story and not go in with preconceived notions about what our research and what our results would be. We talked to people, uh, you know, JROTC instructors, who of course were veterans themselves. We talked to principals. And just as we discussed in the previous chapter uh, with talking about the experience with students, we saw faculty and staff were somewhat divided. We had individuals who lauded military service, believed that some of their students would really benefit from that military service, but we had other individuals who said, my job is to try to get students to go to college. Um, and you know, some principals were very um, open with allowing recruiters into their school, um, allowed them to do equipment demonstrations, you know, hand out you know, frisbees and pens and, and other, uh, you know, military uh, uh, embroidered materials and shirt, t-shirts and things like that. Other principals said, no, you can come into the cafeteria from 12 to 12.30 once a week and you have to sit there. If students wanna come up and talk to you, they are able to do that. You are not allowed to circle the cafeteria. Now again, as long as the rules are the same for college recruiters and military recruiters, the principals do have that flexibility to decide what the policies are, but they have to treat both equally. So again, a lot of diversity in how these staff members thought of military service and what they were suggesting to their students. One interesting finding, near unanimous support for JROTC programs. Even the principals and guidance counselors who were skeptical of military service and didn't necessarily want to advise their students to go into the military said that the JROTC instructors were valued members of the faculty. Um, the students who went into the JROTC program were oftentimes better for that experience regardless of whether they then went on to serve. Um, but if you look at a lot of the existing research, you will also see that JROTC programs are disproportionately found in low-income high schools throughout the country. So again, both things can be true. Um, is there a situation where these programs are being targeted for low-income individuals, especially in this case of Lat uh, Latino descent? Yes, but at the same time, we know we're seeing benefits that even the people who are skeptical and limit the ability of recruiters to come into their schools, they value their JROTC instructors. And many of the JROTC instructors themselves said, my job is to give these kids a pathway. 
I want to prepare them for what's next, regardless of what that is. Many of them said, I will openly talk about my military service. I will tell them the positives and why it benefited me, but I am not here to do a recruiter's job. I will introduce them to recruiters if that's something they are interested in, but again, I care about these kids and want to give them this pathway. So in some instances, you know, I, we've had conversations with people about this work and our results, and some were angry that, you know, again, you, you should have gone after the military more. You should have, um, you know, demonstrated that they are targeting, um, you know, uh, young Latinos. Again, are they? Yes. But are there benefits there? Absolutely. Our next step in our project was then the veteran survey. Um, we were only able to get 113 respondents uh, for this survey. 68% um, of our respondents were Latino, so it was a majority Latino uh, population, but they were really spread out in terms of the wars they had served in, when they were, if they had been served in a war and if they were deployed. Um, our population in this sample uh, averaged 2.3 deployments. They averaged 10 years of service. Some had served in Vietnam, some had served in the 80s, 90s, and we did have a handful of veterans who had served in Iraq or had served in Afghanistan and had come back from those deployments. Um, so I think the, the small size of that sample and the, the diversity of those veterans um, within that made it somewhat difficult for us to truly um, get some of the answers we were looking for, um, but some things absolutely positively stood out. First and foremost, 95% of those 113 veterans were proud of their service. The vast majority of them considered themselves patriots, but this key question that we're now going to get into of whether or not your military service can help you achieve belonging, help you achieve acceptance as an American, that is where the results were much more divided. Only 55% of those who we surveyed said that their service made them feel more accepted by their community, or they felt they were more accepted outside of their family and social grouping. So yes, somewhat supportive of this concept that your military service can prove your patriotism, increase your belonging um, and acceptance, but not overwhelming evidence in favor of that. We also then wanted to look at civic engagement. Did your military service make you a more engaged American? Um, here again, we find some mixed results. 55% uh, of those who served and those who answered our survey questions said they were actually more distrusting of government as a result of their military service. However, 69% reported that they were, um, wanted to be more involved in their community as a result of their service. Um, and 84% said they were motivated to exercise their right to vote. So we do see, again, another benefit of military service in that it increases citizen engagement and civic engagement. However, what we are not seeing necessarily is whether or not it will cross that threshold to acceptance and belonging. That was the key part of this research. All right, which then leads us to our national survey data. All right, um, the 2016 Collaborative Multiracial Post-Election Survey um, is one-of-a-kind data. Um, it's something that's only been going on for the last 10 years. Um, it is a survey conducted in multiple languages um, with thousands of respondents to find out what individuals of different racial and ethnic groups think about politics and government in the United States. Normally, when most national surveys are conducted, if you see a national survey from you know, the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post or the New York Times, those national surveys usually only have about 1,200 respondents. Okay? Um, the CMPS has 5,000 plus. Um, and in this instance, it had 3,000 Latinos. So we were able to get data from 3,000 Latinos regarding what they think about the potential of military service to increase belonging. So we conducted a lot of multivariate analysis, um, and, and I'll talk about some of those results, um, but I think the simplest and most profound results, we really just do see in the percentage of people who answered each question. Um, in 
we had four categories. We gave them statements, said, do you strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree with the following statement? Um, so the first question we asked um, was, uh, military service is a good way for people like me and my family to move up the social ladder. Similar to what we saw with the veterans survey is that there's cautious optimism that military service is a way to climb the social ladder, but that support is not overwhelming, and that support is questioned by some. You see the most common response here is somewhat agreeing with that statement, um, and when we separate uh, the Latino population by gender, we see pretty much the same response for females, males, um, and the population as a whole. Uh, if we look at the strongly agree column, males are a little more likely um, to strongly agree with the concept that uh, climbing a military service is a way to climb the social ladder, but you can see overwhelmingly we are in that somewhat agree category. Um, the next highest category is going to be somewhat disagree. Strongly disagree, had fewer responses, but there again we see in terms of gender, women are a little more likely to be skeptical of military service as a path to climbing the social ladder. We also then looked at the results of this question uh, based on the language of the survey. Um, we found that English speakers were again a little bit more supportive of the concept of military service as a pathway to climbing the social ladder. Um, those who took the survey in Spanish were a little less likely um, to believe that military service would provide those benefits. But even there, what we see is that uh, most people are in that cautious, op what we call the cautious optimism category in terms of that they somewhat agree that military service will allow them to climb the social ladder. Given that um, the first major part of this study uh, was going into high schools and seeing the experience that high schoolers had with recruitment uh, based on the policy change from No Child Left Behind, we then asked respondents, um, do you believe that military recruiters should have the same access to high school students as college recruiters do? Same thing we see here. They are mostly supportive. Are they overwhelmingly supportive? No, because more people um, stated they somewhat agree with that concept than strongly agree with that concept. But still, the vast majority of those who were questioned either strongly or somewhat agreed. Um, thus demonstrating, again, even with some skepticism, Latinos in the United States still are supportive of military service and still believe it should be presented as an option to their students, to their children, um, for you know, the potential of engaging in that during post-secondary opportunities. Uh, we also looked at this again by language. Same thing, somewhat agree is our modal response. Um, we do also see that again, English speakers are more likely to be more supportive of military recruiters being in high schools uh, compared to Spanish speakers, but overall, the majority of respondents either agree or somewhat agree or strongly agree that military recruiters do have a place in high schools and should be informing students about military service after high school graduation. All right. Um, our next question dealt with acceptance, all right? Um, so as more Latinos serve in the military, specifically digging into this question, will Latinos be more accepted as American? Um, here we see even higher percentages of individuals advocating that they somewhat agree with this statement. So there is, again, this cautious optimism that service in the military among Latinos will bring that acceptance and that belonging that uh, Dr. Ocampo had mentioned in her work was crucial to Latinos in the United States. Um, we disaggregate this again by gender, see that while Latinas are a little more skeptical, overwhelmingly a majority of respondents still believe this is the pathway. This is a way for us to, as Latinos, to achieve acceptance as American. Are there those individuals who are somewhat skeptical of that? Yes, there are individuals who somewhat disagree or even strongly disagree, 
modal category, again, is somewhat agree. We also looked at this question by partisanship. Um, one, when we did the multivariate analyses, one of the things we found is that those respondents who were Republican um, were also much more likely to strongly identify as American. Independents and Democrats um, you know, I, identified as American but didn't feel like this was crucial to uh, who they were. Um, they were you know, just as likely or willing to identify themselves as Dominican American or Mexican American or Puerto Rican as they were to say, I am an American. And we saw more Republicans strongly stating, you know, I am an American, and that was important to their identity. So that's why for this question, uh, we thought it was important to look at this by party. Um, again, similar to what you'd probably expect, knowing what we know about political ideology and behavior, Republicans are far more likely to strongly agree that military service is a path to acceptance for Latinos as American. Um, Democrats and independents are a little less likely, but even still, it doesn't change what the modal response is for any category um, when we look at uh, partisanship and acceptance of service. All right. So what do we do with this? where my, one of my professors in graduate school, whenever we were giving presentations, he would get annoyed with us and say, we're talking too much, and just say, what's the take-home point? So whenever I'm giving a talk, I, I hear Dr. Schneider in my head saying, what's the take-home point? So what are the take-home points? Again, both things can be true. Um, military service can be mutually beneficial for Latinos and the military. We know the Latino population is growing. This is going to be a community that is ripe for military service. We know disproportionately that uh, individuals uh, from Latinx backgrounds uh, live in poverty compared to Caucasians in the United States. So there will be opportunities for Latinos that want to serve, who believe this is their pathway for climbing the social ladder. But at the same time, we realize, and what we've observed, is that this process of recruitment is not necessarily transparent. It is not necessarily ethical. Uh, our primary suggestion in moving forward is to find ways to make military recruitment more ethical and more transparent. Yes, going into low-income high schools for students who may not send a lot of, for schools who may not send a lot of students to college makes sense. Going back to that concept of rational choice, yes, that is the area where you are going to find more recruits. But that is honestly true of any racial or ethnic group. Um, if it's a majority Caucasian high school, a majority African-American high school, if it's a low-income school, you will probably see more students go into the armed forces. But ensuring that that process is ethical and transparent, providing more information about military occupational specialties, providing more information about what deployments look like and the likelihood that you might find yourself in harm's way would go a long way to alleviating some of the concerns we found from uh, those principals we talked to from students we talked to, uh, from uh, guidance counselors that we talked to. One of the other parts of this as well is the amount of anti-Latino rhetoric that we see in the United States. While, now again, that was part of the motivation of when we first started uh, this project, but what was interesting is Again, this is a 10-year project. So as we're discussing this in 2007, 2008, we really are in a period of time. Um, this is you know, the Arizona State Bill 1070, the quote unquote show your papers law. Um, James Sensenbrenner in the US House of Representatives introduces his uh, legislation. Um, so we see a lot of anti-Latino legislation. Even here in uh, Pennsylvania, nearby in Hazleton, um, they enacted more restrictive municipal measures to make it difficult for undocumented Latinos to work and live in that community. So we see that. Then as President Obama is elected, we begin to see some of the anti-Latino rhetoric die down some. And then we're you know, in the process of still working on this project, and then we get into uh, the Trump administration, where, of course, anti-Latino rhetoric begins to rise again, and you know, the bad hombres, and building the wall, and getting Mexico to pay for it. So on the one hand, 
the military would benefit from recruiting Latinos, um, bringing them into their ranks. But when one of the things that we didn't really get to ask questions about because this happens afterwards is, are Latinos going to demonstrate the same levels of patriotism and desire to be identified as American if the leaders of their country are opening, openly questioning their um, identity as American and openly stating, we don't want you here and we want you to go back to where you came from. So that, as we're wrapping up this project and weren't able to collect more data, is something that was going on. And looking at some of the other research that was occurring at the same time um, that we talked somewhat about in our conclusion, we are beginning to see you know, Latinos going into the military, going and working in border patrol, not in some cases because they truly believe in the cause, but this is more, they're being utilitarian. This is an economic opportunity. So if we're able to enact legislation in the United States that creates a pathway to citizenship um, for undocumented individuals, because there have been um, some cases where uh, undocumented veterans wind up being deported after their service, so there's not really faith in the idea that service is definitely a path um, to legal status in the United States. So if we're able to create legislation that creates a pathway to citizenship, that will allow more undocumented immigrants uh, to, again, achieve legal status, and they would likely be willing to serve. There have been conversations about proposals for the DREAM Act for over a decade that you know, going to college or serving in the military would lead to that pathway for citizenship. But if we're not going to enact that type of legislation, if we're gonna to continue to see leaders at a national level engage in anti-Latino rhetoric, um, you could potentially be hurting opportunities for the military to recruit Hispanics, even though, again, it could be a mutually beneficial uh, relationship for both of them. Um, in terms of future research and uh, where we plan to go from here, uh, we really need to dig in more with the veteran experience, find out what Latino veterans are experiencing when they're in the service. Do they feel that once they are serving, they are fully accepted by their colleagues in the military. Uh, again, finding out more from more recent veterans who served in Iraq or Afghanistan, if they felt they are achieving the acceptance and the belonging that they want after uh, they've left the military. Again, because we had that diversity in our sample, we really didn't get those answers to the, our, the questions we wanted uh, from veterans, but that's gonna be the next step for this, but again, there can be a fruitful relationship between Latino service um, and, uh, you know, and the United States military, but one of the things we would probably need to see for that relationship to prosper is legislation that provides a path to citizenship, and additionally, a reduction in this anti-Latino rhetoric that we see from many of our nation's leaders. With that, I will turn it over for any questions. All right. Okay. This one's uh, this one's working okay. All right. We have our first question over here. I'll remind everyone. Please raise your hand. Let me come to you with the uh, microphone so we make sure everybody online can hear you. Thank you for a very interesting presentation. Uh, my question is history. I was in the Navy, and when there's Hispanic, you know, Heritage Month and everything, they, they always bring out uh, Admiral Farragut, Victor of the Battle of Mobile Bay, who was of Spanish descent. Yeah. And we had a submarine that was named Mariano G. Vallejo helped establish the state of California. So I've gone back 160 years. So my question is, when you looked at any of this, is there any history about Latino service, and specifically Texas? I mean, in the Civil War, there were Irish brigades on both sides. Were there Mexican-American regiments raised in Texas, or Spanish-speaking regiments that fought in the Civil War that carried the, the flag of and, Texas. And so, and this is what we found that was interesting. I, I'm, I'll be 100% honest, I'm not a historian, so uh, I, I 
can't give you specifics, but one of the things we looked at, there are numerous uh, Medal of Honor winners who are Latino. Um, if you, you know, one of the street right next to the university we served at was Freddy Gonzalez Boulevard, named after a Latino who uh, won the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. What was interesting is we found that the military did honor uh, their Latino heritage and those who had served uh, in the United States military. Um, but what we weren't necessarily seeing is that carry over to some of our political leaders um, and you know, the average American citizen who again fell into that you know, trap of uh, you know, anyone who has brown color skin is not truly an American, is probably here illegally, and we want them to go back. Uh, so yes, I, I mean, th there's a rich history of Latino service moving even beyond Vietnam into World War II and beyond. Um, and again, I, I think the Army, and if you, you know, doing our research, we saw that all branches, but it was probably more the Army than uh, who had uh, more Latino servicemen uh, who honored that and respected that. We just haven't seen that carry over. And again, once you leave the service, that if you know you might have been respected while you served, but now you're looking where you're living the rest of your life and achieving that same acceptance. Um, and and uh, we we heard a little bit about that too from veterans as well, saying you know we didn't get enough data to truly uh, confirm that, but when they were serving, they felt like hey, this is a merit system for promotion for everything else. We are a soldier just like someone who's white, someone who's African American. Um, but again, once they leave and take the uniform off, that experience is not there. I mean, I, th I think the history part's important in yep. this because I think you can go back to the Mexican-American War and yep. forward, and there's a substantial contribution that is not understood by the average American. So I, 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 so again, I, I think that's a great political behavior question because this is always the question: Is it a fact that they don't that some Americans don't want to recognize Latino contributions and don't want to accept Latinos because they fear that they're the ones who are going to be taking their jobs? Um, so I, I think that's a fair point that individuals are scared that that might be what's happening. And, and with the demographic change that we're seeing in this country, I think to some degree that is part of the fear in this instance and why they're not being accepted. I, I, but I, I, my response to, to that, with someone to be concerned about that, is are we seeing situations where the military is saying, oh, no, we've met our quota. We don't want any more soldiers. We don't want anyone else to enlist. So there are opportunities you know, for all races in that regard. But if we want to look at American history in terms of the economic ladder, not necessarily just the military. Um, yeah, the, the last group in is always the group that gets discriminated against, right? You know, Irish need not apply, and, you know, right now it's Latinos. That's where the population growth is. That who's, they are the group getting the brunt of this discrimination. We have seven kids, or seven qualified class, and uh, most are serving military functions or the other. Our grandkids, we have a recent uh, Annapolis grad. I've got a grandchild who is at West Point right now. Well, thank you. Yeah, we had uh, some technical difficulties, but uh, before we lost uh, our uh, connection, uh, there was a uh, person, one of our guests online asked uh, on your surveying what the uh, methodology that was used in your national surveys and the larger context, I think, that was being asking uh, as far as how did that affect your ability to get answers in as far as demographics go. 
Uh, so I, I'll full disclosure, we did not conduct the survey ourselves. So what winds up happening is a survey of that magnitude with that many individuals. Uh, they, the group that runs it um, and its scholars out of UCLA and other universities, uh, they essentially say we're conducting this survey and the way we're gonna pay for it is you pay for questions. So we submitted our questions, the ones I presented the results for, um, and then you know, we paid a fee to be able to get those questions asked and answered. Um, with that, it was predominantly tele a telephone survey, but again, because it was done in English and Spanish, uh, I think you get better data on something like this than you would on most national surveys. Hey, sir, uh, Colonel Tim Baer. Uh, question with the, the veteran survey, when after the uh, Latinos uh, enlisted in the military in the Army, did they feel like they had the same opportunities as the other races within the military? Did they feel they had the same opportunity for advancement, the assignments? Were they more apt to stay in for a career versus just an enlistment? Did you have any information related to any of that? So our, our, our written, Short answer is not as much as we wanted. Um, our original plan was to conduct the survey we did of veterans and then try to get some of those veterans to sit down for interviews. Uh, and essentially what we found is the only way we were gonna be able to do that is if we compensated people for their time because um, these were you know, people that were all over the state of Texas. Uh, so we didn't get to answer those types of questions. In general, though, they were satisfied with their service. So I would assume that would imply that, yes, they felt they had opportunities. They did not feel as if um, their ethnicity was a limiting factor for them to climb the ladder within the military. But that absolutely is the heart of what I feel like we didn't get to answer with this project. But again, like I said, it was 10 years, so we were like, we have, if we don't publish this now, we're never going to. Um, but that, and honestly, preparing for um, you know, this talk today actually reignited the engines that I have to get this done because I feel like it's unfinished business. That, that's what we have to really get at, that experience you had while you were serving. Um, one of the things we talk a little bit about in the book um, especially gender issues, and we know um, that sexual assault in the military is something that's received more attention. Um, but we also know Latinas were increasing, uh, were uh, enlisting at a higher rate than Latinos were around the time that we published this. So we have to look at that part of it as well. So yes, that's absolutely what we need to do is dig into that. What was your experience while you were serving? Not just the, you know, did you feel what? How did you feel about your service after you were done, and how it impacted your acceptance and belonging? So. That's the question. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer to it, but hopefully in a couple of years, I will. I'm a Navy veteran and a current high school special education teacher. You brought about the concept of the best, the brightest of the poorest performing uh, scores in yes. the country. What skills are the military teaching them, and what skills are they transfer, be able to transfer into civilian life? So the question, be, so essentially, if you are, this student in you know, this uh, low-income high school, you likely don't, unless you have guidance counselors who have picked you out and said, you, know, you can be a high flyer, you can truly be successful, and show you how to apply for scholarships and guide you through that process. But what we know, and you probably know this as well, being a high school teacher, is we do not have enough guidance counselors. So more often than not, they cannot help all the students who need that assistance. So if you are an intelligent high school student who could absolutely go on to college and be successful, but your parents never went to college, you don't have the, that individual to explain to you how the process works. And getting through, and I see this as a professor all the time, getting through FAFSA and understanding you know, the credits you need and general education, it can be daunting if you are a first-generation student. And we're finally starting to do more to try to help those first-generation students. But we also know there's tons of first-generation students who aren't getting to us because they, there just aren't enough people there to support them and show them that pathway. So 
potentially you then serving in the military provides you with economic opportunity. Um, and, regard, and even if we just say you don't gain any skills in the military, I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm saying even if we push them aside, you still then have those benefits and you still have the ability to now pay for higher education that you probably did not have before. Um, now, do we see, um, you know, uh, one of the works I cite uh, from a former student of mine uh, who's now at the University of Notre Dame and is doing a lot of work on the Border Patrol, we do see that there is this pathway from military service to the Border Patrol, military service um, to you know, police forces. So there are, you know, career paths that are taken based on your experience. We also know people in medical fields take that service from the military and, and transition um, into the private sector. And, in the field of medicine. So there are skills, there are opportunities, but I think that's the biggest, that many of these low-income high schools are simply overwhelmed. And you know, we walked into some of them and they were just, the walls were pasted with pennants from all these different colleges and universities. And I think part of it is because they know there's too many students for them to spend the time with to guide all of them through the process. And there were times where you might have a college night or, hey, we're gonna explain the FAFSA, but people don't show up because parents are working two to three jobs to make ends meet. Um, so some of those students are just inevitably gonna fall through the cracks and the military can make sure you have at least the financial ability to pursue that education later on. One more question. Okay, uh, thank you very much for your, for, uh, your presentation, Dr. McLinn. I uh, found it very, very interesting. I'm gonna join my Navy colleague there in, in uh, referring to the Hispanic uh, History Month and, uh, and that uh, I think that a lot could be gained by actually um, highlighting Hispanic Latino history within the U.S. military. Um, I've served a number <coughs> of, of them and it, it occurs to me that even in Texas, the 30, 36th Infantry Division, largely National Guard unit at the beginning of the war, 45th Infantry Division from Oklahoma, Colorado, all Southwestern divisions had um, Latinos who, who fought with them and, and very bravely. Um, on the, uh, you mentioned the counseling, that 47% of the population that you spoke to said that they had had contact with a recruiter and 11% of those then had uh, approached the recruiter on themselves, leaving, I think, if, if I'm not a statistician, on, uh, but about 5% who actually got up on their own, of the entire population got up on their own and talked to, to, yeah. um, talk to recruiters. You yourself mentioned that uh, sometimes it was difficult for recruiters to work in high schools they, because they were put in a corner in the, in, the, in the cafeteria. Did you do any sort of um, research as to how the contact numbers uh, varied depending on uh, ad school administration attitudes towards the recruiters? Because it, a counselor and, and school officials, it seems to me, could have a, a great um, uh, effect on students' attitude, the students they counsel, their attitude towards the military, and the suggestion of speaking to a recruiter. Um, the other uh, thing I, I had was that um, you also mentioned about Latinos and their acceptance through military service. It makes me wonder what the other pathways are that we could compare against and also um, that I think the, the acceptance you're talking about is within the Latino communities that they return to and part of the problem, a side problem that you mentioned with Latinos in general in the United States is actually a, a, a national perception and not a local community perception. So, um, okay, so uh, a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll try to go in reverse. I, I think in terms of acceptance, it isn't necessarily among their community. It's, I think it's among those outside of their community. Um, while again, Latinos are not monolithic, they know there are certain advantages to you know, engaging politically as a group. Um, you know, again, as their numbers increase, there'll be more Latino voters and Latino issues will be paid more attention to. So um, I don't necessarily think they don't feel they're accepted by their community. I think it's more acceptance from those from different backgrounds. Uh, unfortunately, what we wound up finding out is that in some instances, the principals and JROTC instructors we talked to were not the same uh, schools that were, we were able to survey. We found some principals and instructors were like, 
I don't want to talk to you um, because I'm worried about how I will be perceived or what um, you know people will say about me. We actually did compensate them for their time, which is part of the reason we didn't have more resources to compensate veterans to do that next step. We'd already spent the money um, that we had uh, received uh, providing gift cards to the teachers and JRTC instructors to get them to sit down with us because we felt we had to get that other part of the story um, after having talked to the students. So we don't necessarily know if there's a definitive correlation where recruiters are more successful in those schools where they had more of a presence. But again, they were in all of those schools. They might have just been in the corner, but they were there. Uh, so there was still that opportunity to engage with students regardless of uh, you know, under what the circumstances were based on the leadership of the school. And the leadership of the school also didn't really know they were hesitant for what they should do and they didn't want to get in trouble. So some of them just let the military have you know, free reign. Sometimes they came in and taught classes and gave presentations and other times, yes, they were just in the cafeteria. All right, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, McGlynn. A uh, little round of applause for him. I'd like to uh, ask Amanda to come back up and say a few words. Okay, thank you so much, everyone. Um, so on behalf of the entire USAC and Army War College, we deeply appreciate Dr. McGlynn speaking to us tonight. Um, and um, gosh, it was fascinating. And I feel like not only have I learned things, but I also have things that I want to go learn more about, which I think is always a sign of a great talk. Um, but in the tradition of um, uh, the Army and the Army War College and Army Heritage and Education Center. We want to uh, bring you right back up and present you with an Army Challenge coin, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you for listening to our lecture. The U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center at Carlisle Barracks, Pennsylvania, USA is an integral part of the U.S. Army War College and maintains the knowledge repositories that support scholarship and research about the U.S. Army and its operating environment. To learn more about the Army's history or to plan a visit to our center, please visit us online at www.usahec.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to learn more about past and upcoming events.